We don't want to do that. Sequels suck. No, wow. Come on, man. Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. It's bullshit generalization. Many sequels have surpassed their original. Oh, yeah? Name one. All right, and hello, and welcome to Unequal Sequel. My name is Dave, and I'm one of the two hosts of this very exciting podcast. And I'm Rich, and I am the other one of these two hosts of this exciting podcast. Think of me as C-3PO to Dave's R2-D2. I can speak loads of languages, and he just talks in bleeps and whistles. (laughs) (laughs) Again, it's it's very true. The premise of Unequal Sequel is very simple. We ask our guests their best ever sequel, their worst ever sequel, and finally their dream sequel. And of course, because it's us, we like to talk, and we especially like to talk movies, we often drift off and talk about other stuff as well. We also do delve slightly into spoiler territory, because we talk about old movies most of the time. So be warned, we do spoil movies. But only when they're like 25, 30 years old. So, you know, you should have seen them by now. Exactly. <laughs> and we're not sorry. And on today's episode, we are joined by Fiona Underhill. Fiona is a film journalist, editor-in-chief of Jump Cut Online film magazine. And she also is a bit on the Jumpcast podcast as well. And she does. She's been also good enough to come on our other podcast the Baywatched podcast a couple of times because she lives in LA we were very excited to sit down and talk all things sequels with Fiona this is Fiona Underhill's unequal sequels enjoy do you remember the first sequel that you got excited about or remember seeing at the cinema First sequel I saw at the cinema. Oh, that's a question. Or you got excited about it. You remember getting like, oh, God, I can't wait until Home Alone 2 drop. There definitely would have been ones before this. But the, in terms of like getting really, really hyped for a sequel, it, it, my biggest memory of that is The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Because because obviously there'd been such a large gap between Star Wars and then the prequels. I know I'm slightly cheating here because it's a prequel, not a sequel. Yeah, that was definitely a case of like the, the hype was through the roof. The original trilogy had been re-released in cinemas, I think in 96, I think it was. Yeah. So like everyone was kind of primed and ready for Phantom Menace in 99. And I bought all the magazines you could get. I had like all the Vanity Fair covers for Phantom Menace. I was so excited and yeah (laughs) and then Phantom Menace came out (laughs) do do you not have fond memories of Phantom Menace because most people we talk to and they they saw it when they were little like loved it and they try and defend it now yeah I mean I wasn't little so I don't have that excuse I was like 19 I did like it when I first saw it though I'm not gonna like pretend I was too cool for it because I you know I was mostly I mostly kind of liked it when I first saw it I certainly and I will defend to this day things like the pod race sequence I still think it's like fun movie in a lot of respects but the thing that I I just you know can't hold sway with is the whole midichlorians like disaster you know the fact that Lucas tried to over philosophize the entire 
thing. Mm. And obviously that kind of keeps going in his uh, prequel trilogy. But yeah, the whole the whole immaculate conception and the mother and the midichlorians and all of that is just where it lost me. Wasn't it about like a tax rebate as well? Like, is that why? Yeah, there's a lot of tax, tax sort of talk, you know, which any big, you know, family blockbuster is missing. (laughs) It's like debates over politics and tax oh, yeah. and things but I did love I mean and and I still love this now like I really like Natalie Portman in it and I love uh, the the costume design and the handmaidens so that like I remember at the time it really blew my mind the whole handmaiden thing and her being in disguise and swapping with Kira Knightley and all of that yeah like that I was proper like whoa <laughs> mind blown but yeah so you know I I've I my how I feel about the prequels has certainly had like you know its ups and downs over the years and we did we recorded a pod actually on the prequels and I shockingly re-watched Attack of the Clones and liked it way more than I remember liking it the first time I watched it I know I, I like honestly I was shocked myself because that that now that is a sequel you, we can talk about um, yeah I know what do you enjoy about that now let's give that some defense if you'd asked me like only very recently I would have said Attack of the Clones is by far the worst of the three you know it's like so long and boring all I could really remember about it is just like stretches of it that just seem to be incredibly long and dull and just like nothing happening but when I rewatched it there was you know there was stuff that I enjoyed. <laughs> There's um, <laughs> um We're waiting. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm a little like you in the fact that I, I didn't hate Phantom Menace. Yeah. I watched the cinema too. I was I was about nineteen. I didn't hate it. I thought it was okay. Some of the Trade Federation stuff kind of loses you, but it's all right. But yeah. Attack of the Clones was a bit I, I I I remember sitting in the cinema thinking I'm gonna punch myself in the face to make this stop. Like yeah. it was, it was. My my memory horrible. of watching the cinema is like it just being interminable. Just like when is this ever gonna end? This is so boring and awful. But when I rewatched it, I, I think Ewan's performance as Obi Wan is the saving grace of that whole prequel trilogy, yeah. really, because he's the only one who's like not phoning it in, who gets where he is and what he's doing, and because he does have you know a little bit of that legacy like in his family with his uncle and stuff I feel like he is genuinely like happy to be there and excited about it and I do think he you know his performance is infused with his kind of sense of like childlike you know wonder at the fact that he's in a Star Wars movie and stuff and I think he does you know he's good so that that does make up for a lot but yeah there are the whole clone army thing it's the ending that just stretches on and on and on and you're just like is this ever going to end it's the it's the horrible horrible love story. Yeah, the dialogue is you know, <laughs> but uh, you know it's entertaining in its own way. You know the talk of sand, the, needed, the horror of sand, oh, the sand. It gets everywhere. Yeah, it needed Harrison Ford to pull George Lucas aside and do the you can write this shit, George, but you can't say it. You know that that that's what it needed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Luke, if anyone has ever like got in his own way in life, it's George Lucas, isn't it? You know, it's someone who had such a good thing and then 
everything that was good about that thing, he just seemed to sort of forget and he just made it way, way too complicated and just tied himself in knots thinking, oh yeah, we need this whole complicated backstory, midichlorians, we need, yeah, this love story and, you know, Hayden Christensen, I'm sorry, (laughs) casting-wise and acting-wise is a bum note. I mean, although I do think the last one is good and he's better in that last one. Mm, Yeah. But, yikes. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing how uh, every conversation we have about this podcast somehow always comes back to Star Wars. It's so important to everyone's <laughs> youth, it seems, and growing up, especially when it comes to what was their first sequel, like, oh, Return of the Jedi or, or Phantom Menace or, or something like that. Yeah. Do you remember, like, going to the rental shop, picking, like, favourite sequels out there, like Short Circuit 2, anything like that in the 80s? That... I, lo- I love Short Circuit 2. I don't have a distinct memory of, like, renting that from the video shop, though. I- I'm a Ghostbusters 2 defender. Join the club. Hands up. Love Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, I I really don't understand people's problem with that movie. I think it's hilarious. I think it's got so much going on. It's got a really good villain. It's I, I like Ghostbusters too. Uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yeah, you're a big fan. Is one, one yeah one of my favourite ever sequels because I think it's it's so much better than Excellent Adventure. I don't I don't dislike Excellent Adventure, but I think Bogus Journey really takes it up to a whole other level. I think the Heaven and Hell sequences are amazing. You know, I just think it's got so much going on and it it's quite complicated for what it is. Like there's so you know, there's like aliens, a station, there's uh, heaven and hell, there's death, obviously absolute, you know, one of the most iconic characters and performances ever. Yeah. It's got uh, so much going on, but I think it really works. And yeah, that's definitely one of my favourite childhood sequels. I was thinking that the other day because we were talking about we we couldn't think of a comedy where that's got a good sequel. And then the other day I was sat there, I was like, Bogus Journey! Bogus Journey's a great sequel! It is. It's such a good sequel. Brilliant. This is where I have to admit I've never seen it. <gasps> right. Well, that's your that's your it's evening homework, this podcast. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Honestly, I don't know if I've watched any Bill and Ted. It's one of these moments when... I know this is incredible. Well, I think I've had... It's like when I watched Willow the other day. I thought, oh yeah, I've seen Willow loads of times. Yeah. Never seen Willow. <laughs> Plus, everything's like built into the culture now. So you're like, oh, excellent, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. And I'm just really yeah. happy that there's films that I, I've seen and you haven't. <laughs> it's not normally, it's not the other way around. And what's annoying, <laughs> at the moment on Now TV, or Now as they call themselves, there's the first one and the third one, which just got released. There's Bogus Journey. No Bogus on, Journey. No Bogus Journey. So ah, I can't bring myself know. to do watch the first one and then. No, the third one. You can't so. do that. The Focus Jenny is the best one. I've seen all three, and I did like the new one. I did like it a lot, but yeah, Focus Journey is just on on a different different level for me. Fee, what is your favourite sequel ever? <laughs> okay, so this might be surprising. I don't know. The first thing I thought of when you asked me is Scream Two. So Scream Two is my favourite of the Scream franchise. I can't... <laughs> it's going to sound really weird, me talking about this film, but I was kind of obsessed with it when it came out. So again, my obsession, you know, in those days was, like, related to kind of magazines. So, like, Empire had this um, photo, Scream 2 photo shoot. I can remember it and picture it as clear, 
like as you know it could be in front of me right now and it's kind of like this blue it's like got this blue filter on it and obviously it's very late 90s early 2000s in terms of its fashion and everything and it and that photo was like my happy place for a long time I used to just gaze at it (laughs) but um I love Scream 2 and the reason I love it is probably again you people will laugh at the reason I love it so much one of the main reasons I love it is that it came out when I was on the cusp between secondary school and university and it's a col- it's like my favourite college film of all time. <laughs> and it's like American colleges were like, because I was a big, I've been a big like America file all my life and I now live in the US. So I've always been obsessed with America and like American colleges, they always looked so cool to me. Like the fact that they have that quad and they're always really leafy and they've got nice buildings and stuff. So it's the fact that it was this amazing college movie. And to me, I was like, oh, when I, and also, I was a drama student so I studied theatre at university right and Sydney is a theatre student in Scream 2 and she does there's this whole plot where she's like in this Greek tragedy and like (laughs) it's this amazing full-blown production this is like what I thought me going to university oh yeah this is totally what it's going to be like and I'm going to be in a Greek tragedy with red you know satin (laughs) blowing all over the place in a wind machine and it's going to be real like high production values all this money that goes into these like theatre productions in in American colleges like you know British universities are, are not like this so I have to tell you but yeah so that was a massive reason why I love Scream 2 so much so yeah my reasons are slightly bizarre <laughs> it's you know the co- whole college thing and the fact that Sydney is like a drama student student and the whole theatrics of it I really loved but you know obviously it's also the actors who are in it so oh my god I'm gonna embarrass myself uh, what's it's everyone name again? everyone yes everyone's, yes, everyone's in, it. in it everyone from the late 90s is in this movie yeah Laurie Metcalf <laughs> Laurie Metcalf okay so she gives like an absolutely iconic performance in Scream 2 but yeah every kind of hot young actor of the day was in it even for like a minute even if they're in it for like one minute like Joshua Jackson's in it for like like two minutes (laughs) yeah and and yeah that scene that's the other thing again this is like to me this was like ultimate goal at my age bear in mind like I was you know just finishing secondary school just looking forward to university and the fact that they were sitting around talking about films in like a college classroom again to me that was like oh my god do people at university do this and like I couldn't imagine anything better or cooler I was like people to like sit around in a university classroom and like argue about films and that's just <laughs> so cool it is the dream i just it is i just couldn't imagine anything better basically so yeah there's uh, every kind of hot young actor is in it um T- timothy oliphant is amazing in it laurie yeah. metcalf is amazing in it like they really the performances are all obviously dialed up i also think it's got one of the best opening sequences of all time i do yeah. really think jada pinkett smith's performance i think she's so underrated as an actor this is like segueing a little bit but magic mike magic mike xxl one of my favorite sequels of all time <laughs> <laughs> sorry it is related because it's a sequel no it's fine magic mike xxl okay is one of the 
best sequels of all time, okay? And Jada Pinkett Smith is amazing in it. Like, literally should have been Oscar nominated. And I think in Scream 2, she's also brilliant. When you think about how much screen time she has and her impact in just those few minutes in that. I mean, and also the fact that I had to measure up to the Drew Barrymore mm. opening in Scream 1. And you think, oh, that you know, there's no way that can match that or top that in any way. But I think... <laughs> Scream 2, like the intro, I really, really love. I think so strong. And I know it's bold to say it's, you know, the equal of the, the first Scream's opening sequence, but to me it is. Oh, it is, definitely. And I I just, I love how meta this movie is, to use yeah. one of the kids' term now. Just like the fact that Omar Epps and, and Jada Pinkett Smith are basically gone in the first few the first few scenes. Like, yeah. that's it. But like, and I think that, that's awesome. But like, that you've got Heather Graham playing in the yeah. play, playing the, um, the yeah the Drew Barrymore thing on the screen whilst the mur- the real murder's happening in real life. I, it, it, I, I love learned. it it's so good I loved it and then yeah because uh, part of my drama course at university was about like postmodern like and things that things that were self referential and stuff and to me it was like scream two oh wow like it's amazing but yeah Randy as well was like I absolutely loved him from the first scream like he was my favorite character and then his death in scream two is like the most shocking moment for me I was just you know couldn't believe what I was seeing and it really affected me I was like oh Randy and all the the, (laughs) like when it happens and the blood dripping from the bottom of the van I was like yeah yeah. oh man that's that's a really good kill that one (laughs) it's also so much fun I forgot how how fun it is it is fun yeah Yeah. incredible and and the fraternity like culture at American College the fraternity sorority Mm. thing which you see a bit in Scream 2 as well because like Sarah Michelle Gellar is in this film you see a bit with Jerry O'Connell and his like fraternity kind of again the whole Greek thing where they're um I think there's like a toga party in it or like an initiation or something. So yeah, that again, to me, that's fascinating because that's like an American college experience that we don't have in in the UK. Yeah. I did slightly struggle when I was watching it to separate it from Scary Movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I um, have never watched Scary Movie films for this very reason. Don't. because Because their existence... <laughs> irks me because Scream was a satire and was self-referential and it it absolutely comments on itself already so to have a parody of Scream which is already like a parody I just to me it never made sense it's like why are you taking the mick out of Scream which is already taking the mick out of horror movies like it to me it just didn't need to like it's too far (laughs) you've gone too far (laughs) you know you don't need scary movie to take the mick out of something that's already taking the mick out of itself it's just scary movie movie was using an opportunity to take the mick out of everything it wasn't just uh, scream yeah. that the killer gets in there i know i know it was hard to go oh I, you know i remember this bit and i'm like oh no i remember this bit from scary movie mm. like, yeah. <laughs> this is like yeah and his name is dewey not doofy which is what, <laughs> what he's called in scary movie oh, we have to talk about david arquette he's rubbish <laughs> is he you think he's I so think rubbish he's... Sorry. I think he's, he's the one. I think one he's lead. well cast. No, I don't agree with that actually. Every time I he says it... a line, he looks like he's having a really difficult poo. <laughs> like, it's but, just but like... I think it suits his character. I think he's well cast for that character. It's like you know, the character is a bit of a, a wet blanket, and I I do like him and Courtney Cox, and obviously there was the whole fact that they were 
you know, getting together in real life as well. That's true. There is good chemistry between them. Yeah, I think they have good, you know, because they're so different. And she is like, so, you know, I'm the hard-hitting journalist and I'm not going to fall for your charms kind of thing. But then she does. Oh, you know, that's appealing to me. I love how you defend this movie. It's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love Screen 2. It's my favourite. So did you get to see this in the cinema? I did, yeah, yeah. So Scream 1, I have a clear memory of getting in the car after watching Scream 1 and being scared, like checking the back seats kind of thing. I don't remember that as clearly with Scream 2, but I quite possibly was feeling a bit like, yeah, nervous afterwards. Because that's my thing with horror is that I can be quite a wuss about horror, but I also love horror. So I'm always like fighting this instinct within me, but I love horror comedies. It's like my favourite kind of subgenre of horror so I love it when it's got I love gore and uh, anything kind of gruesome I love loads of blood and gut that's a good part of horror for me I don't like it where it's more kind of psychological and I think you know Nev Campbell her performance the reason we all remember these movies and they've been so long lasting and we're getting a new one is because she absolutely sells it. She, yes, you know, she's a hundred. She's a hundred percent serious. Her her fear is completely straight. You know, she's not in any way, you know, kind of taking the mic or laughing at herself or anything like that. I just think her performance absolutely sells these films, and her fear is genuine, and I feel that fear. She and and especially when she's just so exhausted and like, just leave me alone, and you know, mm. why is it still going on? That kind of thing. So you can have all the fun, and and you know, you have like Timothy. Oliphant and Laurie Metcalf being totally OTT and I love that but I I think it wouldn't work if you didn't have Nev Campbell at the centre of it all because she is just this force in the middle of it. Yeah, I think another really important performance is is Liev Schreiber as well. He's so so creepy. He's just so creepy in this in these movies. But the first one and this one, he just plays creepy so well. You're like, ah, it's got. It is you. It's got to be you. You're so creepy. <laughs> he's so ambiguous, isn't he? Like He's really good at playing that, you know, is he or isn't he? And what his intentions are and what's going on with him. Yeah, he's very good. I've got to ask, did you guess the twists? As in, did you guess who the murderer was? Because I think it's does quite a good job of like trying to point the finger at different people. Like that. It does, yeah. The boyfriend, you're not quite too sure. The best friend, the cops yeah. at some point. Uh, I'm I'm not very good at guessing twists no, to be not. honest. I'm I I'm like <laughs> most most twists take me by surprise. So yeah, I'm always like oh everyone's a suspect and I'm never that that good at guessing who the who the real murderer is. Yeah, I I never saw the mother coming. That was the one that for me yeah. like the best friend I saw. Oh, I can get that. He's into his films mm. as well. But the mum. Do we know no, what Timothy Oliphant's character? what his motivation for being a murderer was was he just a psychopath I think it was just a nutter and, just and like, he was tracked like down by kind of he wanted to be famous killer, nutter yeah. yeah oh okay he wanted to be famous that was it, was it? he went big on this got that. he went yeah, oh, he he did. Did. Yeah. big <laughs> him him's like scratching his head with the knife I can remember that so clearly when he's got the knife and he's just like looking down and it's like there's so many parts of this that just like, like I said I haven't even watched it recently but there's so much about it that just sticks in my head yeah I watched it and I was like, Timothy Oliphant is still a very handsome man. And in this picture, it, like when he was younger, you're like, how has he always looked this good? Damn it. Yeah. Why has he not got... An amazing like, hair as well. <laughs> I'm jealous yeah. of the hair. <laughs> How's he not bold yeah. and fat by now? It's not fair. <laughs> he does look pretty much the same, doesn't he? I do think he looks yeah. a little bit older than the rest of the kids. 
he looks like um, a mature student in the first scene with everyone, else. especially when you're sitting <laughs> next to Joshua Jackson Pacey, who's always looked about 13. Yeah, he's so baby faced, isn't he, Joshua Jackson? He's got that round face. Yeah, there's some really clever kills in here, but my favourite use and camera steals and stuff is when they're, no spoiler, attacking uh, Dewey on the other end of the glass. I thought that was great. Yeah. That's my, I think that's my my favourite scene at screen too. Like I said earlier, I forgot how fun it was. Right. And I remember watching it on my brother's VHS player on his little, you know, the four free little TVs that you have in the bedroom at the time. Absolutely loving it. I have no recollection. I've definitely watched three and four. Yeah. I have no recollection of those films. I could not tell you who the murderers were. Three scarred me, to be honest. And I, full confession, I may not have even seen four yet. I need to watch four before the new one comes out. But the reason I haven't seen four, if I haven't, which I'm pretty sure I haven't, is because three was so bad that it kind of scarred me. And I was just like, no, <laughs> no I can't do this anymore. Yeah. That's the one is he still Wes Craven, the third one? He did, he did all four. He did all four, did he? I don't. I don't remember the third or the fourth one either. The third I, one is a mess. It's got Scott. Can't remember his surname. Scott Foley, is it? I think is the murderer. Oh God, I just remember it being bad anyway. But Richie's got Jane Silent Bob in it. Is it? Yeah. In, what, in, in the fourth one or the third one? Third one. In like the really? the film within a film, Stab Two or something. They 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 rock up. Nice. <laughs> So you're not a completist if you haven't seen. Uh, I might. Spring I might have to watch that then. Just. <laughs> I definitely will before the new one comes out. I'm definitely gonna rewatch or watch all of them. Yeah, I'm gonna go back. I'm also gonna go back and watch Scream One because I still can't really remember that. To be honest, I remember being pretty terrified of it all. Um, Scream One is amazing. Like some of the jumps. You know, when, when I when I say Scream Two is my favourite, like that is not a, any kind of shade on Scream One at all. But Scream Two just it's got it's got those extra elements that I was explaining, like the college setting, yeah. as as opposed to a high school setting, is a big like draw for me. And also the new addition of those actors. I love. So you wouldn't put that category in like a sequel better than the original? I, w- I would for me, but I realise that's a very personal opinion. Yeah, that's why we do this podcast. We've had some weird choices. So <laughs> <laughs> I know I know it's kind of controversial to say two is better than one, but for me it is. Your opinion, I prefer your opinion to. can't be wrong because yeah. it's your opinion. This is what I think I agree with you. I think two is better than one. I, I prefer Scream 2 to Scream. I enjoy it more. It's just got so much going on, so many elements. Yeah, that, it's layered that like a lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so much fun. I keep saying it's so much fun, it's, and it's so clever. It is. I mean, I know, I, I know, I'm kind of like mocking myself now for like how amazing I thought like all the postmodern stuff was at that time, at my age, you know, my impressionable age. I was like, wow, man, this is like <laughs> so clever the way they've done this. Did you ever have those conversations and get to have a class like that? Did you ever live out that dream? Not really. I mean, obviously, my course was theatre. So, uh, you know, we didn't... We did have conversations, I guess, like that. But, you know, it was it was focusing on, on like, Renaissance plays as opposed to film. So it's not... It doesn't have quite the same level of, of cool. That's the one thing I never uh, bought. There's two things I didn't really understand in this. One, Nev Campbell was a drama. I don't think that would have been her pick. Yeah, it doesn't really suit her character. I agree with that. Like, yeah, I don't see her as a theatre kid, really. And two, this mm. is America. Why did they not all have guns? That's what I imagined. I was thinking that. I was like, why hasn't anyone got a gun? 
Like, this person's got I a think, knife. I think at not, college, not though, it's, it's understand. Yeah, it, it's understandable that they wouldn't, like, in their frat house or sorority house or whatever, they wouldn't but have them. Dewey might have a gun, right? Or Gail. Like, yeah, Gail would like definitely a, have a, a gun. Literal show. Yeah, Gail would. Yeah, definitely. But apart from that, it's nearly perfection. <laughs> it is. And I, I love that you. Someone's actually picked a horror. Yes. I yeah. think it's the first time on our podcast, Rich. It is, and and neither of us are massive into horror, are we? So it's it's nice to try to. I mean, I have seen Scream too, but like you know, I'm not. I'm I'm sort of the opposite to you, Fee. I think I I like the really psychological ones and the really gory ones. Just make me feel a bit poorly. Like, <laughs> uh, things like Hostel and stuff. I can't watch that. It's <laughs> the psychological ones, especially like they nearly always about grief because obviously horror, people are dead. And I struggle quite a lot with the really psychological ones. Like, like I will put off watching them. Like, I put off watching The Babadook, for example, for literally years because I was like, this is going to really upset me. And I just think, am I, I'm rarely in the mood to be traumatised and upset. Yeah. And, and that's what I often find in horror films is that I'm just, like, crying because I'm upset. It's not, it's not so much that I'm scared. I just get too upset about them. But all the gory ones, um, I just end up laughing at those. So the gorier, the better. I'm getting more wussy. I can't be dealing with it anymore. Oh yeah, that, I think that happens to that happens to to men as they reach a certain age, Dave. Oh, I good. think we just get wussier and wussier as we get older. I also think have, having kids makes you a lot softer as well. So like, definitely, if if it's a storyline involving children, that it always just upsets me. So yeah, that's the other thing about it. What is the sequel you've most been disappointed by? So I'm not saying it has to be a bad sequel. It's just you like, ah. Oh. Um, I, other people have probably mentioned this one, but I, I you know, I hesitate to bring it up. <laughs> the The last of the uh, sequel trilogy, again, sorry, I'm going back to Star Wars. It's fine. So, so the last one, Rise of Skywalker, is that what it was We've called? had some you know? top hate roasts on, like, we've had two people, <laughs> yeah. pick that as their worst. I bet you've had other people mention this. I mean, I, I'm not going to say anything that hasn't already been dissected to death like a million times, but I was really invested in those first two films. I think the first two are amazing. I loved the characters. I was really invested in, like, Finn and Poe in Ray, in Ben Solo. I cared about those characters. Like, they, they had got me. They'd grabbed me in the first two films. And I cared about them. I was invested in them. And then I felt like the third film just... It felt like they made it in a massive rush. And just, you know, like, oh, we've got this pressure to make this third film and we have to make it now. And let's just cobble something together. And, like, they, they hadn't planned it they hadn't <laughs> they hadn't planned those three films in advance i don't know what they were doing and and people criticize the the second one for this and they blame ryan johnson and whatever but i'm you know i don't agree with that at all i'm strongly you know massive defender of that film and you and he get left it in a perfect place they didn't have to think oh you know some people didn't like that one so now we have to wreck on everything and go back and change it and oh i really am upset about it to be honest because they didn't need to do that stupid thing with Ray and Ray's parentage. Oh, I hate it so much. I hate it so much. Yeah. Just that they didn't have a plan makes me so angry. Yeah. It makes me so angry too. It's like they're paid literally millions millions of dollars to have a plan and you don't have a plan. It almost shows contempt for the, for yeah. the fans of the series that 
that they didn't plan it out beforehand. You know, yeah. They didn't sit down and write it as a three-part to start with. I mean, I, I'm one of those people that didn't like the second one, but I in no way think the third one's great either. In fact, I don't think I've ever been so angry in the cinema as the end of Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I'm certainly not a defender of it, but I, I mean... Disappointed it, is a lovely way of thinking about it. it it's it's a very good way of so. putting it, absolutely. And, and I, you know, the the way that Finn and Poe were massively like shafted and sidelined, and uh, Kelly Marie Tran as well, they were all just like, we're not interested in any of you anymore. We're just going to push you to the side. None of you matter. You know, I like um, Ray and Ben Solo, and, and I'm one of those sad people who who actually was rooting for them to kind of. I, I personally did like the fact that they kissed, and I know that's con- controversial. Oh, that's first. I know, I know. But I don't like the fact that the film just completely forgot all of the other characters, basically, you know, just for Ray, And also the way they shoehorned Luke and Leia, well, Luke especially into that third one, and Han Solo and Leia, the way they shoehorned them all in, I really, really hated. Oh, God, there's just so much I don't like about it, so much. I still, to this day, just want to know what Finn wanted to tell everyone. What was it that Finn wanted to say that he didn't say? What What is it? Yeah. <laughs> is he going to tell Poe he loves him? Is he gonna, he spent the entire gonna... film just going, Ray, Ray. Like, <laughs> got to tell you something. That... What? Yeah. What? what? <laughs> Come on, tell us. That was his role in that film. Uh. What is your least favourite slash worst sequel ever? <sighs> Again, it's a recent one because the wounds are still fresh. And I I really hate having to do this because a woman director who I'm, you know, I'm a big champion of women directors and I really try to support their work and I will always watch it even if I'm, it's potentially something I'm not going to like. I will always support them. And I don't like tearing them down, but Wonder Woman 84... Yeah. I was looking forward to that film so, so much. I can't even explain because I loved the first film. The first film was like a five-star movie to me. I loved everything about the first one. And to go from World War One, which is a setting I love, to the 80s. And the fact, you know, when I found out it was going to be set in the 80s, honestly, my height could not have been higher because I love film set in the 80s. I am a complete, you know, sucker for things like Stranger Things and all of the retro stuff that's going on a lot at the moment. So when I found out it was set in the 80s, honestly, I was so excited. I couldn't wait. And I realised there was a pandemic and I ended up watching it at home. And I realised that is a factor. However, (laughs) oh my goodness me, it's a bad, (laughs) bad film. It's so bad. No one sits out to make a bad movie. I know. But somehow they truly, they they did. (laughs) They definitely did. (laughs) The script script is really, really bad. Nothing made sense. Again, this is similar to the issue with Star Wars, where I just feel like there were too many people in the room. This is my... This is all I can imagine happened. Let it out. Too Too many people in the room, too many voices, and no one sat down with a proper clear plan of what that film should have been. Because to me, it's just utter chaos. So, for example... 
Kristen Wiig could have been an amazing villain in that film. Agreed. She is. She was great in the character. I loved her. Loved again the costume design. You know, particularly associated associated with her. She could have been a brilliant villain, and that would have been potentially would have been a good film. But Pedro Pascal's character completely I didn't like him he didn't need to be there and also there didn't need to be any why you know we're all distracted by him and then Kristen Wiig's character didn't you know just didn't get any chance to shine because she whatever she had going on then had to be connected to Pedro Pascal Mm. and I didn't I really deeply hated it also who on earth (laughs) thought it was a good idea for whatever the hell was going on with Chris Pine's character. So the fact that he was not Chris Pine, but he was actually somebody else who, who, oh, who God. thought that was a good idea. It's one of my bugbears is when they were like trying, they give him such a good send off in the first one. Yes. Like it's really yeah. good. They made him a hero. I think that's a great yeah. character. And then they try and resurrect them back in. And I'm... I didn't even particularly object to him being resurrected or whatever. I didn't, that wasn't particularly my issue. Like I knew in advance he was going to be in it. And I was like, fair enough, whatever. And one of the very few scenes I enjoy in Wonder Woman 84 is when he gets like a little makeover scene, like where he tries on different 80s outfits. I quite like that bit. But why? <laughs> why did he have to be in the body of somebody? else that's so weird it's creepy. so weird it's so, so weird yeah it's just it was totally unnecessary why did they think they had to do that it just didn't make any sense and then everything about their relationship then was totally rushed and botched and everything we've invested in from the first film was completely undone in the second one because she's now become this complete sad sack who's like pining over him and everything's about him and then she gets him back but in the body of someone else and then he still ends up leaving or whatever he does at the end and it's just like all of that was awful and we didn't need any of it oh god isn't it morally wrong as well what they do like the, the yeah, idea of yeah. it is just, yeah. it's just plain time. wrong yeah yeah they use <laughs> they use somebody's body in a manner which is not uh yeah also there's quite a lot of like dodgy stuff going on in this film not least the entire middle east what the fuck and of all people you've got gal gadot who was in the idf running around with these arab children that she's like rescuing and it's in the middle east and there's like terrorists or whatever so oh my god what year is this we're making a film like that in 2020 it was really cringeworthy and i'm so disappointed that it went in that direction and also i'm sorry but like it showed up everything about gail godot acting yes it did (laughs) it did because i you know in the first one i thought she was good like you know she's the fish out of water she's the innocent you know she's trying ice cream for the first time i liked all of that in the first one but this second one just did her absolutely no favor she is absolutely awful in this film her acting her line deliveries what she's given i know it's not entirely her fault because what she's given to do is obviously awful but it really shows up the fact that she just doesn't have range she just 
She can't convey emotion <laughs> convincingly. She's, she's great at the action. Yeah. When I watched this, when it first came out, I remember messaging you, Dave. I can remember it very clearly. Yeah. I said, she is great at the action, but she's got all the charisma of a tree. Like, she, nothing there. It's so I bad. Know. It's bad. <laughs> so bad. So bad. Oh, just the, the amount of levels on which they botch this film is just mind-boggling, to be honest, because there's just so many directions that it could have gone in it. And, and like every time you, you're kind of at a point in the script and you think, oh, you know, this could go somewhere and it just goes in totally the wrong direction. It's like they just made bad decision after bad decision and it really just piles up by the end. It's not like I can forgive it, but I think the terrible script, the bad acting and the messy plot are, are, <laughs> are all, you know, those things can happen. What's not excusable is the CGI is awful. Like yeah. th- that's just a given these days. The, the scene where she's like jumping in slow motion over a car or whatever it was. I can't remember what I can't remember what she jumps over. Do you remember, Dave? Uh, it's like remark- an army vehicle. There, the... There's some very very dodgy CGI in it, and her I don't body know, moves again... ten minutes before her head does. It's just ridiculous. Again, possibly <laughs> pandemic conditions are involved there. I don't know, but don't. No, you know, this don't was done like two years before the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. It was it was a long time, wasn't it? We were waiting because it kept getting delayed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that wasn't a good sign. Like, and that was even before the pandemic started. It was being delayed. Yeah. Wasn't it? And, and there were like alarm bells ringing for quite a while before it came out. <sighs> I really, <laughs> I love the first one, and I'm just not happy with the way that that second one is just tarnished. <laughs> So much. And I mean, I can't get into the wider DCEU because what an absolute shambles the entire thing is. And I just say, mm. you had something good there. You had something good, <laughs> like a precious little pearl. You had Wonder Woman and you man- even managed to completely balls that up. Yeah. And <sighs> I think we've just got to get used to DC movies occasionally being good rather than it being the rule. Yeah, and and if they're good, it's like entirely by chance. It's just like a fluke, basically. Because apparently this new Suicide Squad one is good. And I just feel like, well, that's a total fluke, the fact that that's good. (laughs) Like, Like, there's literally no planning that has you know created the fact that it's good it's just uh let's just release another suicide squad yeah. you know one came out a couple of years ago you know screw it so what are your hopes wonder woman free or whatever they're gonna call it <sighs> god i just i'd rather they pulled the plug i don't i just i don't know bizarre because sometimes i'm trying to we talk about bad films we can at least pick one good thing I can't think of any positives in Wonder Woman 84. Like, my, my, my literal only one is Chris Pine in some 80s outfits. That's, that's it. That's my only... That's it. Yeah. yeah. No, because I, I can't even think of that, to be honest. Pedro Pascal was in a different movie. He. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, he, I don't even he, understand that. And like you said, Christy no. Wigg... <sighs> how, how you can waste her so badly, because she's brilliant. She's a brilliant actress. She's a brilliant comedian. She knew what film she was in. Like she was, she t- obviously turned up on set ready. You know, I'm mm. ready, willing, and able to do what you want of me. I'll be the campy villain or whatever. She was there, and then they just gave her absolute dust. They just like, you know, completely wasted her. We're supposed to believe that, like, that Kristen Wiig is sort of some sort of dowdy, ugly person yeah. as well just because she's wearing Ma- glasses like Mal- oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is that about Class- that's a classic isn't it i hate that um, she's wearing glasses uh, yeah. uh. <laughs> who do you think's to blame is this a, a studio's fault or 
I do. I do think it. To me, it smacks of too many cooks. So I mm. think there was too much going on. I don't know if it was too many writers or just too much like studio interference in terms of producers. I don't know, but it really smacks to me as if that this was too many people looked at this script or too many people got involved because it's absolutely chaotic and just it needs streamlining it needed coherence it needed one person to take charge and be like this is what's going to happen and this is how we're going to use the characters but to me it just seems like it got passed around you know, re- rewrites, possibly reshoots. I don't know what happened with it, but it just really looks like it was messed around with a lot. I think it's quite it's quite sad because I'm, I'm thinking because I've just I've just been listening to Helen, Helen O'Hara's Women vs Hollywood book, and it's now maybe very cynical about Hollywood movies. But I'm thinking maybe because it's a female director, that's why studios interfered more because it's it like that appears to happen. Like if if you're a, a woman in charge of a movie, and especially then people with, step with, in with and... sequels, mm. because there is a legacy of women directing the first film in a franchise. So twi- this happened with Twilight, it happened with Fifty Shades. Yep. Um, so a woman will direct the first film, and then it gets taken taken off and given mm. to a man for the second one and the subsequent ones. So the fact that Patty Jenkins was getting to direct the sequel was a big deal. Um, I know we've started to have it now with some MCU films like Black Widow. You know, we're starting to see women directors, but whether they keep them on for the sequel is, you know, remains to be seen. Yeah. So the fact that she was getting a sequel was a big deal. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to say that Patty Jenkins is blameless because she might not be, but I do hate the thought that she did get interference because it really looked, it looks like it, 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 it was It looks like there was a hell of a lot of interference in this movie to be honest it doesn't I agree. it would if it was one person's vision it'd be a lot more coherent than it is yeah yeah i agree completely i think i'm gonna suicide squad it seems that james gunn has gone in with a deal saying i've got a final edit which is which is why it's probably good <laughs> yeah because yeah. you know this it looks like it's a james gunn movie um, and he makes fun movies so that's good you know but perhaps trust other people to be allowed. And, and like Taika Waititi is somebody else who gets to do this. And he was given free reign. It's clear that like, you know, for example, with like now the Thor character, he is in control. It's his tone, his humour, you know, his he gets to have a lot of say. It's obvious. Mm. And then they need to have that trust with other people. The problem with women directors is that men can make bad sequels and they'll get a job pretty much instantly. Yeah, this a, a sequel like this could damage someone's career. Like it took so long for Patty Jenkins to make. She made Monster with Charlie's Theron, which is a great film. Yeah, and then Wonder Woman, which was years later. Yeah, will she, will she, her career suffer from this? I think she signed on to a Star Wars Rogue Squadron film at the moment, but that doesn't come out for like is, another is that, three is years. That a film or like a TV show? I'm not quite sure to be honest. Uh, I'm not sure. And with Star Wars film, I never quite believe it until I'm watching them because yeah, they always exactly. get announced every other day, and yeah, mm. I've still only seen a handful so we'll see yeah she's amazing like her vision her storytelling i i really doubt that this is the film she wanted to make i i don't i don't think it can be if you look at her other work the other work that she's produced there's there's no way that she wanted to make this movie like this is this is a studio interfering movie a hundred percent it has that feel yeah Yeah, oh yeah, yeah yeah definitely yeah someone's been thinking about the money (laughs) <laughs> exactly what is a film that got a sequel but the the first one was so perfect that there was no need for it 
That's a good question. Thank you. We can we can throw you some examples to get the ball rolling if you. Yeah, want. yeah, yeah. Go on. Okay, one I came up with the other day is Taken because the first one's a very good film. There's no need for a Taken two or a Taken three. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, there have been lots of examples of this that where the first one, yeah, was good, and then they decided to sort of turn it into a franchise, and then every subsequent one has just been mediocre at best. Yeah, Speed. So mm, yeah. Speed is a perfect movie. I, it has a sequel. I, I just want to remind everyone yeah. that a, a, sequel, a sequel do, a sequel does exist uh, of Speed, and they thought, let's just take this perfect concept, really simple, this streamlined script, perfectly structured, perfectly paced, and let's just take that same concept and just attach it to like a cruise ship. That 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 will work, I think. Let's just that will be fine. That that will yeah. in no way be awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, rubbish. Just... So yeah, that that's an example of a perfect film that did not need a sequel, and they tried <laughs> to give it a sequel, and that was a mistake. Yeah. As soon as Keanu Reeves said no to that film, yeah, that that was your first clue. That was the first that, clue. Yeah. I don't think loads of people were going. Oh yeah, I can't wait to see Sandra Bullock with someone else who may have no chemistry yeah. with. Yeah. Do something on a much slower vehicle. I... <laughs> That's the thing, and, isn't it? It's called Speed, and they're on a cruise <laughs> ship, which is famously not fast. <laughs> Speaking of Keanu, it may, may be controversial to say that I personally don't really feel that The, the Matrix needed sequels, ding, ding, yes. or should have had them. Yes, this is, this is sometimes the example we give of yeah. films that don't need sequels. I yeah I I understand again what they were going for with the sequels, but again it's a little bit like the George Lucas thing where I feel like they went way too philosophical and started tying themselves in knots with like oh it's all very airy fairy and there's like this such you know this person kind of in control of everything but like it's all in your head and it just went way too kind of like you know conceptual and kind of yeah philosophical and just felt like. Mm. Do we really need all of this? Oh. I mean, again, it does have uh, Jada Pinkett Smith turning up in like a great kind of like metal rock rave kind of scene. That's that's one of my pretty much only memories of the Matrix sequels is that there's like this kind of rave in an underground something or other and she's there wearing leather or something. But yeah. The best thing about the, Mat- the Matrix sequels was the Matrix computer game that they released on the PlayStation 2 and, and the GameCube. So there's no need for the okay. movies, but giving more games. But that 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 is a great choice. It's um, I feel like once they did the Matrix, they're like, oh, it's brilliant. Let's do it again. And then they asked them about it. And I originally what they I wanted to make was just a really cool action film with loads of, like bullet time, and, yeah, and make it a little bit smart. And then the second yeah. one, it has got a great chase. If Cameron's listening, it's got a great <laughs> chase in it. But apart from that, it's absolutely toilet. There's no need for that keymaster bit. The bollocks at the end yeah which mtv did such a good spoof of in one of the the movie awards with um will farrell and justin timberlake if you haven't <laughs> seen it that's really good and then they just try to like oh let's be really smart about it yeah lost me Sm- smart smart is not necessarily better they they this is the thing is that they all try and get too clever this is you know their downfall a lot of the time they try and get too clever they try and overthink things 
prequels are a classic example of this is where they try and give backstory to things that don't need backstory uh like disney's doing all of that at the moment with cruella for example it's just like you know do we need the origin story of some villain and like you know it's just you you're thinking about this way too much you're overthinking it and we don't need any of this yeah. shit. what is your dream sequel Okay, I'm amazed that I'm the first one to bring this up because I really thought this would be a popular answer. There's two that I see I there's two I see mentioned on Twitter a lot. So one is the Nice Guys, and I would be in, on board for a sequel of the Nice Guys. 100%. The second one that I see mentioned a lot, and this is my choice, is the Man from Uncle, the Guy Ritchie movie. So the reason I get annoyed about the fact that this doesn't have a sequel is that the credit sequence perfectly sets up well like the final scene and the credit sequence perfectly sets up a sequel so you've got um henry cavill uh, um army haver hammer alicia vikander and then you have hugh laurie comes in hugh grant this is right the end. hugh grant hugh grant, hugh grant yeah. sorry hugh grant comes in and is like you know i've got another mission for you kind of thing it's basically what you know the end of the the film and i would have loved to have seen a sequel and i know it's now um an issue with army hammer but he could easily be replaced it's not not so much about the actors anyway it's more about that setting i thought the costume design and production design the locations it's like a bond movie like the best of bond you know the the original bonds from like the 60s it absolutely does have that feel to it i think it's like the script is you know Guy Ritchie is by no means a flawless (laughs) script writer or director we all know that and he's had massive hits and misses like you know his career is a huge roller coaster Mm. but this is for me is an example of him really scripting something brilliantly I think the dialogue's amazing I think it's really well written I think and I think it's such a fun film like the charisma the leads I think you know Henry Cavill has never been better uh Henry Cavill is not the strongest actor certainly again in terms of range like he has you know he's great as like say Superman for example but he doesn't really have the kind of range for a whole big you know diverse variety of roles and I think this is one of the films that best used him because he's got this brilliant mid-Atlantic accent. He's doing this kind kind of Cary Grant thing. Mm. His banter with Army Hammer, who's playing this like Russian agent, they have this whole, you know, they hate each other. They have a really hilarious fight in, in public toilets <laughs> near the start. Um, they have all this like banter all the way through and kind of rivalry. Alicia Fikander is not like my favourite actress, but again, I think she's good here. Um, and I think it really works that there's like three of them. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki, it lets her be tall. <laughs> and she is amazing in this. Like, she, again, the outfits, oh my God. It's one of the first few films that fully uses her height, that her height versus Henry Cavill is brilliant because Henry Cavill is not a short person, but he, <laughs> he's teamed with Army Hammer, who's six foot five. Elizabeth Debicki is, I think, six foot something with a three, I think. 
And, and so Henry Cavill looks like this kind of like hobbit in the middle of them, but he's like six foot himself. It's just funny anyway. It's just gorgeous. I love the whole kind of, there's like a, a race sequence where they go to like a Monte Carlo style uh, sort of, you know, Formula One type race. There's, yeah, all this plot involving like a bomb and kind of Cold War spy stuff. Oh, I love it. I, I, I enjoy it. I, I, I remember watching <laughs> it and thinking... I'd like to see more of that. I, I have been on a podcast, by the way, that's entirely dedicated to Man from Uncle. So oh, brilliant. Amongst women in particular, it really does have a big, like a fan base, a strong cult, kind of cultish fan base who really go to bat for okay, it. Okay, before I ask Rich, so why hasn't it not got a seat? Yeah, there's this huge fan base. Because the fan base did, I, I think, has grown more in recent years. Like, I think when it came out, it didn't do that well, box office. It made a profit, not much. And I think it's... It made a profit. Yeah. It's more been people discovering it, I think, um, at home and it growing kind of status and people just discussing it started to have an upswell of kind of support of like it needs to do you think the army hammer issue issue that's a lovely way of putting it yeah has dampened and maybe delayed and become a problem for it no because i mean i think it's very slim chance that it was going to get a sequel anyway but i think it's very easily solvable like yeah. there, there's no and and you know it, it's very like, for example it wouldn't have had alicia vikander's come back you know it, you could easily have done it if you've got one of them, say if you manage to get Henry Cavill, which again I know isn't especially likely at this stage, but if you say had one of them, I think it could still work. Yeah. So even potentially none of them, if it had that same setting and same concept, it could still work. Yeah. Guy Ritchie still not uh, directing. Yeah, I, I I will defend him in this case. Okay. I do think. Yeah, I do think it should be him. Yeah. Because he's been searching for a franchise for a very long time now. Because he's rock and roller. He tried to set up even at the credits. He said the rock and rollers will, will return. King Arthur. I think he wanted to be like a whole thing, didn't he? Yeah, he wanted like five sequels to that. Yeah. Rich, let's go to you, mate. <laughs> I mean, you watched it for the first time, didn't you? I watched it for the first time yesterday, and. I mean, it's, by no means is it the worst film I've ever seen. Definitely, <laughs> and and I totally get what you're saying. It's it's beautiful. It's beautifully it is. shot. Everyone in it is beautiful. Like, like I, I've rewatched this film so many times. It's a real like comfort film for me. I can rewatch this film anytime. Drop of a hat. I could watch it now and be quite happy. The, what it reminded me for me is I mean I'm not a massive James Bond fan anyway. That the whole okay. sort of genre, the spy genre. Okay. Doesn't doesn't massively hit home for me, but for me this felt like I was watching the film version of a of like GQ magazine. Like <laughs> it looks great. It's full of beautiful people. That's a, a big bonus in my eyes. <laughs> it's really stylish, but I find it a bit boring. Like I just I don't know. It just I can't, I can't understand finding it boring because to me it's so funny. It's just like I think there's so many lines of dialogue that stand out to me. Yeah. And memorable. It's really funny and charming, and everyone, like I say, is kind of full wattage of charisma going on. Yeah, it doesn't. And... It doesn't overstay its welcome as well. It's quite nice, you know. That's a plus point in my eyes. Yeah, I th- I think it personally think it's really well structured and paced, and I like when there's humor. Like, because I, you know, I do get bored by action quite easily but if there's kind of humor in it so the fact that like the car chase is funny you know the, when they fight it's funny 
So that is like a massive bonus in my eyes. So, you know, the fact that there's so much humour just going on throughout the whole thing, the fact that they're set up as rivals and they're, they're bickering. So like they're like two old women bickering while they're trying to break into like the secret layer or whatever. Yeah. That that just really appeals to me. I just find it really funny. The fact that they're just they kind of hate each other and they're these big rivals. Plus Hugh Grant's great in it again. Hugh Grant is yeah. very good. That Hugh Grant and Elizabeth Elizabeth Debicki, I yeah. really like. And I, I but I really like them in everything, I think. I don't like Army Hammer. And I didn't know anything about him before. I didn't know any of the controversy stuff. My wife yeah, told me after when we that's fair enough. I said I've watched this and we talked about a sequel for it, and she went, "Well, I don't know what's going to happen because because this has happened. You know, Army Hammer's cancelled essentially." And I was like, "Oh, yeah. that's not a shame." Um, <laughs> I get, I do understand people who think, you know, why is he even, you know, getting cast and stuff, and is he even good? I do completely understand that. I do think like his over the top Russian accent, I think, kind of works in this. But again, like I say, it wouldn't. It doesn't necessarily need him. I think I think it does ideally need Henry Cavill, hopefully doing that. Henry Cavill's better, definitely much better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I and sort of, you're you're absolutely right. He's he channels that Cary Grant kind of character really well, and that's I I, I can totally see that. And I, if it was a movie just about him, I would yeah. probably have liked it more. I don't know, for, maybe because it's a because it's a Guy Ritchie movie, I expected it to have a clever twist and or like okay and it kind of didn't i kind of like like, yeah everything that i thought would happen happened basically and i didn't i wasn't going oh that's clever no i just kind of "Eh, this is happening (laughs) yeah but it looks great it looks it is stunningly beautiful absolutely beautiful and the costume is amazing yeah just it looks great but yeah, it just, Rome, just wasn't, for, just wasn't for me. But I can t- absolutely see why you would love it. <laughs> if you were making a sequel, Fee, and we say we got Henry Cavill back, yeah. who would you, and we couldn't get Hammer, he's in prison or whatever, who would you cast? Is there a storyline or other actors you would like to see in it, like actresses you'd like to see hmm. play yeah, opposite? Yeah, that's a good question. So actor-wise, who would I like? Because hmm. they wouldn't have to get whatever that, that character back. They if can get you, another Russian. If you were going to go Russian... Um, and still keep that kind of Cold War aspect. I think you would have to. That's like, the whole point of it, isn't it? If I think you could um, get someone like Daniel Bruhl to to play. Russian. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, I, yeah, I know yeah, he's yeah. not Russian in real life, by the way. I know he's German, but you could get him to play Russian in it. I'm trying to think of other good actors who are good. You know who would be good? That kind. Go on. Go on. The guy from The Guest. What's his name? Dan Stevens. No, I knew, I knew one of you was going to suggest that. <laughs> he loves him I now. Can't stand he watched I the guest him. the first time and he loves it. Yeah, totally. I can't stand Dan Stevens. And Pete, everyone wants to cast him in everything. I'm just like, no. <laughs> I think he's so bland. Oh. So bland. What about David Harbour's just put on a good Russian accent for Black Widow? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think, because you need someone who's like a good contrast to Cavill, so they can't be too, like, have that sort of good-looking straight straight-laced kind of thing. What about Jack on. Loudon? Can he do a good... I really like Jack Loudon. I love Jack Loudon, that's, that's why, inter- yeah. in, in, Interesting that you brought him up. But yeah, someone who could... I was thinking, like, of British actors when I was starting to think. But yeah, someone who could do do a good Russian accent. You could have a female spy. Definitely. Um, yeah, women... I'm trying to think what women... Not Gal Gadot, no? See. No. <laughs> uh, maybe Karen Gillan. Yeah, that'd be good. Who else? Florence Pugh, but she's getting a bit too big now. 
like you know she's not likely to do it scarlett johansson can do a, an accent uh, if you need her to <laughs> true and be a tree we, 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 we're, we're making be. we're making a stealth black widow sequel here combined with man <laughs> can you tell what i've watched recently <laughs> <laughs> do you not think that henry cavill's the the funnier one He's certainly the charming one, isn't he? He's certainly kind well, of. Well, he's the British agent, isn't he? Um, well, he's American, but yeah, he's the American. Oh, yeah, agent, good point. But Army Hammer's kind of the straight one, isn't he? He's the one that the, the kind of humorous one. So yeah, you almost need yeah. another straight man, don't you? Really, they don't have to be funny. That's they what just I have think. To be like... I think Daniel Brühl would would do that well. I think that's that's um, perfect casting. What about a bad guy. Well, I like the fact that it had Elizabeth Debicki as the bad guy in the first one. Uh, I mean, again, she would never do it, but like Tilda Swinson. Oh, I'd pay to see that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see her be more bad guys, Tilda Swinson. I think she would do. Me too. I think that'd be that's a great shout. Again, when <laughs> I was describing this to my wife, and I was saying, you know, I was trying to think of Elizabeth Debicki, and I was like, she's really tall and really blonde, and she's like Tilda Swinton, and I was like, no, no but. That would be good. That would be good. <laughs> I think that's a great show. I'd I would happily watch that sequel. Rich, would you watch a sequel if it came it came its way? Uh, I I don't think I would. But you know, I, I mean, I might watch the sequel that you're pitching now because it sounds quite good. You know, so maybe, yeah, maybe. But like I say, I mean, I say I don't. I'm not really into James Bond, but I have seen them all. Like you know, I have watched them all because you couldn't avoid them when you when we were kids. And you know, I, I quite like Skyfall because essentially it's Home Alone, isn't it? Really for grown ups. But yeah. you know, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's... I don't think they will let this lay dormant forever. I think at one point they'll turn back to it. Maybe not. A sequel to the Guy Ritchie film, but I'll have another crack at it. The Saints has just been announced, which is yes. very similar. Saint with I think Reggie Jean Page yeah. has just been announced, and there's obviously the Saint and Man from Uncle are very similar properties in terms of their origin origins of like sixties TV shows. So you know that might reignite something. So there was a Saint film, wasn't there? Val Kilmer. Did he Val was, Kilmer yeah. yeah. It was rubbish. I just remember the car from the Saint, the Volvo. That's all I can remember about the the, the sixties oh. TV show. He had a Volvo, and it was lovely. <laughs> and and they tried to make it an Avengers film as well with Ralph Fiennes and Uma Thurman, now, which was a disaster. But that's another like cool sixties show that could potentially be reimagined. I'd love to see a sequel to the Avengers with Ralph Fiennes, and how can you top that bizarre mess? It's like a weird <laughs> nightmare. It's bizarre. Sean Connery and controlling <laughs> the weather. Dream. It's just... And there's Eddie Izzard in there. It's, <laughs> there's people dressed up as rabbits at some point. It's. It was around the same time as like the Batman kind of George yeah. Clooney, Val Kilmer era, I think. Oh. This is my only, my only explanation for why it was the way it was, is that it felt kind of bat- Batman-y. The time that movies went bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it felt a bit like one of those. So those were Fiona Underhill's unequal sequels. Yes, they were. I loved it again. Yeah, oh, I always love it. I always love it. I love this podcast. It's amazing. If I wasn't making it, I'd definitely listen to it. I, and I don't want to say that because I listen to it anyway, even though it's weird. <laughs> I drive along in my car listening to myself talk. It's great. I love talking about Scream 2. Uh, me too. I really like Scream 2. And that was a great choice. Absolutely brilliant choice. And watching it back again, the, the scary moviness does come into it. But I think that makes it, you know, I think that makes it even more. Yeah. And uh, you don't like Man From U.N.C.L.E.? 
No, I'm sorry. I wish I did, but I just don't think I'm wired that way. I just, I just don't really like spy movies very much. I think you're wrong. I quite like to see another <laughs> sequel, but I, I, you know, I respect your decisions and it's your opinion. And as I say, your opinion can't be wrong because it's your opinion. Yeah, exactly. It's just my opinion. I'm more than happy to be in the in the minority that have this opinion. I'm sure there's loads and loads of people that disagree with me. But we can all agree, Wonder Woman eighty four is still rubbish. Oh yeah, still a big load of poop. Which again is a massive shame because I really wish that film was good. Yeah, it was great having Fiona on. Uh, please check out Jump Cut Online, where she's editor in chief. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie website slash podcast with Jumpcast. They've just got new uh, presenters. You know, a lot of us have just Ooh. stood down and been replaced. <laughs> Oh, yeah, lovely. We'll give that a listen. So that's exciting. Yeah. Give that a listen. Please give us a listen. We're on the internet. Dave, they are giving us yeah. a listen now. They wouldn't they would be hearing you say that if they weren't giving us a listen already. Please continue <laughs> continue listening <laughs> and tell other people where you can find our podcast. And you know, binge listen to all the other episodes if you're not listening to them already. If this is the first one you're tuning into, go back and, and give the rest a a binge. There's eight other episodes, yeah. plus bonus episodes, yeah. so like six other. There's loads. There's loads. Yeah. And it's so good. <laughs> and if you've just, you know, randomly picked us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Unequal Sequel. And we have an email address. You can email us at unequalsequel at hotmail.com. I think that's all my promotion Absolutely. done. And massively, well, I mean, massively exciting for me is that we're Indie Podcast of the Week. Yes. Until and, until uh, the next one. Pod Bible up. magazine. Until yeah, until like next week. So shh. <laughs> yeah, indie podcast of the week. Get us, eh? <laughs> well done, Rich. Well, you know, I just turned up, mate. You do all the planning. <laughs> I just turn up and talk nonsense that no one agrees with. It's fine. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> That's not true. Thank you very much for joining us. It was wonderful to talk to Fiona. I can't wait to be back with you next week. We have a really, really good guest lined up again. We do. Such good guests on this podcast. Number 10. Can you believe it? We've made it to number 10. Number 10. Oh, my God. There's only like there's only three more episodes to go of this series. Yeah, that's what we planned. Wow. To be fair, we first said eight, and then we went to 10, and now we've gone to 12. <laughs> 12, yeah. <laughs> but we'll be back with series two before you know yeah, exactly. it, won't we, right? You know, it's just, so this is the the next one will be the penultimate penultimate yes episode, yes. and then we'll be of this series. Then we'll be back for series two later in the year. Yes, but we'll still have the bonus stuff because there's no chance we're not doing Ghostbusters when that comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Top Gun. <laughs> Maybe we'll just carry on doing a few extra episodes. In I, between, I think right? the bonus stuff will probably continue. Yes, just so you know, we're still here. Don't forget about us. Please don't forget about yeah. us. Yeah, you can't forget about us because get the Baywatch podcast going at the same time. Oh yes, oh yeah, check check that out. Yeah, listen to us ramble on about Baywatch. Join us next week. Fantastic episode coming. We'll see you soon. Bye. Have a good week. Bye.